Good morning. How are we? It's great to see you here this morning. Thanks for joining us. You're joining online or catch up, taking the time to um, invest in yourself. I think it's really important. Um, you know, I think I'm coming to a stage in my life, um, a real um, tipping point in my life of transformation. Can I say that? Can I say that? I- I'm at the age now where on a Sunday afternoon, after my belly is full, my eyes begin to close. Has anybody reached it yet? I used to watch my grandparents, kind of, or my, my, my um, Sarah's grandparents, you know, they, 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 we go round, especially at Christmas, you have all the food, you know, you put as much turkey or whatever you have, your tradition inside of you, and then all of a sudden, you hear that noise. Has anybody heard it? I'm getting to that point, I'm really excited. I'm really excited. I've always like idolized them. It's kind of, you know, I've never been able to do that. I've had too much energy. But I'm finally nearly there. I get to two o'clock, three o'clock, and I'm thinking, my eyes are going. You know, the girls, what, they put a film on a while back. I think it was like a Marvel action film. And usually I'm pretty good. And they said, Dad, you fell asleep. I'm like, I'm at that stage, finally. And I'm pretty okay with that. It's a part of transformation. It's part of moving on in life. Um, and I'm secure with that. But I'm having a bit of fun with that. But you know, sleep is important, is it not? Sleep is really important. Even more important is rest. Because you can sleep but not rest. You can do that. You can have sleep and have a, have a night and feel like you get up the next day. And, or even people say you can have too much sleep. Has anybody done that? He's like, I had 10 hours and got, I'm still tired. I've done that. But you know, sleep is really important. So when we're talking about being awake today, I think it's really important to have a balance and understand that we need sleep. Okay? So we can't be awake all the time. We can't run an adrenaline. We need healthy living. But we're talking today about being spiritually awake as well. Because we need to look after ourselves physically. We need to look after ourselves mentally. But we need to look after ourselves spiritually so that we're awake to the things of God and we can fulfill that what God wants us to do. Because we can very easily fall asleep. We can very easily fall. And, and Paul writes in the New Testament to people who fall asleep. I'm going to read a scripture. It's from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Have oh, we got it? It says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. So he's speaking to the church, Christians. Wake up, sleeper. I think we need to hear that sometimes, don't we? We can easily fall asleep. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So I think I need to hear that on a daily basis. I think the church needs to hear it. Paul obviously knew a group of people needed to hear it. And he's probably reflecting here to Isaiah, they think, or a hymn that they may have sung. Wake up, sleeper. I don't know how they sung it, but they sung a hymn. That's maybe rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. I don't know how they sang it, right? But they could have, they could have had a jig. I don't know what it was. But the point is, Paul knew we fall, as, we fall asleep spiritually. And we need to be reminded. So I want to kind of speak this morning of some things I have faced that we can read in the Bible also that have actually helped me when I've been falling asleep spiritually, that have kind of tried to put me asleep spiritually, and I've had to wake up from. And I've learned now to be aware of them because they try and put me asleep. So that I'm no good. I'm not effective. I'm, not, I'm no longer full of life. 
and vitality, right? And, and abundance within me because I just can't be bothered anymore because I'm too tired. I'm just weary. I feel weak. There's nothing in me. Has anybody ever felt like that? I feel like that some days, if I'm honest. So I have to watch out for something. So, you know, in, in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua takes on, like, loads of people from Moses. I don't know, half a million, a million people? That's a big church to look after, is it not? That's a lot of responsibility. Over, after Moses, who was a great leader, phenomenal leader, not perfect, but great. And he takes this responsibility on, and he's probably feeling a little bit intimidated that he can't really do what Moses did. And God says this to him three times. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, he says it three times. And then he says, in ver- the third time in verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded you? Don't you love it how God kind of commands you but invites you at the same time? He's like, come follow me. Now do this. It's like, I didn't know that was going to happen. How did you do that behind my back? How did you invite me to the sweet shop and then say to me, but don't eat too many sweets? How did you do that? He's got an amazing way of loving us and then giving us commandments that we'll obey because we know He's lovely, and we can love him, and he, he's good, and we can trust what he says. So he has this amazing way of, with Joshua. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I want to speak this morning about dealing with discouragement. Because discouragement is the, one of the main things that sapped the life out of me and wanted me to quit. I'm fed up. I don't want to carry on anymore because I'm discouraged. Discouragement is the opposite of courage. God wants to give you courage. He wants to give you strength so that you can love your family. He wants to give you strength so you can serve wherever you go with a, with a passion and a heart for people. But discouragement, whoa, that wants to sap the very life out of you. So that you want to, I don't want to carry on anymore. I don't know what the point is anymore. I don't know what the purpose of life is anymore. Why do I even exist? Why do I want to carry on? Why bother with church? Has anybody felt like that? Is it just me? So we got to watch out for discouragements. And discouragement can come in different ways. So if we're aware of this, We can keep our courage, our strength, our passion for God going because we're aware of where the enemy comes or we get in the way to remove our strength or the life that's within us. So I want to give you a few things. The first one I've found that tries to discourage me is when I'm overwhelmed. I just can't cope anymore too much. Everybody felt like that? Like, I've got too many tasks, I've got too many things to do. Or the task that I've got to do is too much. Joshua chapter 1, he takes on all of these people. He takes on from a great leader. And then he's taking them into the promise of God. A promise that Moses can't take them into. A promise that was promised to Abraham that is now being waited. They've waited hundreds of years for it to come to fruition. Now the promise is here and Joshua's got all of this pressure to take on all of these giants and strongholds in this promised land. He's got to rid them out. And God knows he's overwhelmed because he says to him three times. And if God says something three times, I think we should listen. Be strong and courageous. 
So he's taking on, he's got like loads of plates spinning. Anybody have that before? I've got a plate over here, family. I've got a plate over here at work. I've got a plate here with these people. And I've got a plate with me kids. I've just got plates spinning everywhere and it's too much. Anybody felt like that? Felt overwhelmed. How am I going to do this? And Joshua has this problem. He has to take on Jericho, which is a, a huge fortress that seems impossible for him to take on. And it's too much. But all he needs to do is listen to God. And do what God says. You know, recently, I, uh, last year I took on a master's. I'm going to be honest with you. Is that okay? Be a bit vulnerable to you this morning. This isn't easy for me. So I'm going to be courageous in sharing. I took on a master's 12 months ago. A master's in biblical studies. The last time I was in education was about 24 years ago. When I was in education, you could write your essays out with a pencil. Pen. Sorry, that's way back. Right? Let's come into the 21st century. You know, I went into, I think it's like 1994 or whatever. We were writing essays out by hand. Can you remember that, anyone? Or you had this little typewriter thing going on. And then you bought an electric typewriter. And it had a little screen across the top there, about that, about an inch long. And your word went across so you knew what you were typing. And it was like, oh, it's gone. What did I type? I can't remember. What did I type? And you had to, it was like, oh, my word. And then you would print, print it off and it came out what you'd typed in. Oh, that was harder than just an old typewriter for me. I'm showing my age now. But why I'm telling you this is this. I started back in education. And I'm having to do things that I haven't done for like 20 years ago. And, and I'm having to put footnotes in. I mean, what's the... Oh no, okay, footnotes are really important, right? I'm having to put things in and put them in a certain way. I'm like... And then I'm sitting in lectures and they're going... They're saying every 10 words they're saying, there's a big word that I don't understand. Eschatology and ologies. And how many ologies? What did the Greeks do with that ology thing? Put it back into Greek and use something different that we understand. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, this is just too much. I don't even understand the words, let alone what they're talking about. And I've got to do footnotes. I'm like, what have I done? I've done too much. I've taken too much on. I haven't even done a degree in theology. I did a degree in sports science. How does that fit in? I've like, and I'm convincing myself, Paul, you've made too big a step. You, you, you shouldn't have jumped too far. You should have gone and done a degree first in that as well and then done that. And it just became too much for me. And I'll tell you what I did. I froze. I panicked. I froze. You know, our, our technique, how do we cope? We either run away, don't we? We freeze. Or what else do we do? We attack them, right? We kick off. It's their fault. Stupid university, too many words. Greeks, they shouldn't have come up with all these words. Should have changed it, right? We, we fight it with our own te technique and blame someone else. So I'm taking on the, I am completely overwhelmed. I'm having a panic attack. I, I'm struggling with anxiety. It's just, I'm overwhelmed and I'm still having to come church and do what I'm doing. And I feel a fake. I feel like a fraud with a mask on. And I'm, I'm like, what do I do? I, I can't cope. And I go and see a doctor and the doctor says, well, I think it's, your anxiety. And I'm like, why am I anxious? You need to talk to someone. So I start to talk to someone. I talk to them. And they made it make sense to me. 
I tell you what, I want to encourage you. Anyone overwhelmed, talk to someone. Don't bottle it all up, talk to someone. Because there's someone out there who can help you. Because they helped me and they made it make sense in my mind. And what I realized is this. I realized that part of my foundation or my belief system was built on going right the way back to when I was a child and I struggled with education. And I thought I was stupid because the education system put something upon me. I struggled to read and to write and I compared myself to everybody else. So I formulated a belief system that said this, I'm stupid. That's what I believe about myself. I'm not very clever, I'm stupid. So then I have to cope with that in life. And my coping mechanism is this, don't do anything new because you'll expose your stupidity if they find out. So just play it safe, Paul. Don't, don't go into the promised land, because it'll expose your belief system. Am I making sense? I'm being honest. So what I've had to do is deal with that belief system and go back to actually, where do I get my value and worth? And I'm telling you because that's a deeper level. It's not that I don't know God, but you have to go deeper with God sometimes. Because I can go so far, but I've got to go further. And in going further, I've got to unearth some other things that have been put in me that aren't healthy. And actually, the overwhelming burden of it was coming from myself that I was dealing with my insecurities and fear what people thought about me. I'm just being honest this morning. I'm trying to be courageous, trying to be real. Is that okay? So I felt completely overwhelmed. I felt anxious, even to the point where I felt like I was going into a cycle of depression. And I couldn't cope anymore with life. But I thank God that there's people who can help us. I thank God that if we're open and we're willing to walk, then not only can people help us, but more importantly, God can help us. And I'm so thankful now. I don't feel as much a fake anymore. I feel real. That I've got my own struggles and my own brokenness. And actually God meets me in them. And he doesn't want me to be anybody else and put a cloak on. We're going to look at that in a minute. He wants me to be real and be honest and, and come to him. Am I making sense? But what I found was I was so discouraged in that thing because it felt too much. I felt completely overwhelmed in it and I felt discouraged and I wanted to quit. I wanted to just freeze and everybody to go away and leave me alone. And just go and work. No, no offense. Just, just go work in Tesco and put the things on the shelf. That's, that's, somebody needs to do that, but that's as much as I could cope with. I don't want to think too much. But thanks be to God that if we're willing to be open and honest, then God is, is open to us and wants to help us. He wants to help. He wants to, is not to be um, discouraged, but he wants to fill us with courage again. And I share that not from a place of weakness. I know my weakness. I share it from a place of vulnerability, openness, and courage. I, I, you can think what you think. You can look at me and say, I thought he was stronger than that. I want to say, that's who I am. And this is who I am. And I'd hope you love me for who I am. And if you don't, then we'll go on a journey and let's love each other a bit more. Because this is who I am. I felt completely overwhelmed. I'm not in that place now. I'm in a much better place. So I feel like I can talk about it. I didn't want to offload all my worries and concerns and start worrying people. But I want to be honest with you so you can see the journey I've come on. Is that okay? So getting overwhelmed. What do you do when you're overwhelmed? Two things I want to tell you. I heard Kay Warren say this. And this is a woman who lost her son through, you know, suicide, 
because of his own mental health. And she says this, Kay Warren. She says, when you're overwhelmed, this is what you do. Number one, stay connected to God. Stay connected to him. You know, I, I didn't know what to do. I just go to God. God help me. That's all I can do. Get, stay connected. What's connected? That's a new word. You Greeks didn't use that one. Connected, right? Uh, connected to, to God. God commands us. He doesn't oh, come to me. You know, he commands us because he knows it's good for us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's an invitation, but it's a command because he knows it's right for us. Love him with all your heart. Stay connected to God. Number two, stay connected to people. Don't run away from people. God commands us to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a commandment. Don't run away from people. You'll feel like it, but don't run away to people because there's some good people out there who you can learn to trust and can help you on this journey. And that means church. Don't run away from church. Because we are the church. Second one is this I've found. That can discourage me. That can empty me out is I'm not replenished. I'm having a drink because I need a drink, right? Now, I generally don't feel like having a drink. And the reason is, I've got saliva in my mouth that's constant. Extra saliva. I've got this little technique. Has anybody got this? I've not come across many people. If you cover your, tongue, your little saliva gland for a little bit and hold it down, and then lift your tongue up, it squirts all the saliva. I'll demonstrate it here. Has anybody got that? Just put your hand up. It's got a name. Has anybody got it? Oh, you see, there's not many around. But honestly, ask my girls. They hate it. They're like, Dad, can you stop it? I'm like, Luke, I can squirt it like a dragon. But why, does, why am I saying that? I never feel like a drink because I've got constant saliva in my mouth. And, and what I find is this. I don't drink and I get dehydrated because I don't feel like having a drink because I don't feel like I need one. Now, many of you are like, oh, I'm parched, I feel like a drink. Most people say this, when you're parched and you feel like a drink, it's too late. Just think about that spiritually. When I feel like I need a drink or I'm not, I need replenishing, usually it's too late. I've gone beyond what I... So the point is this, if I'm to have a drink, I need to spiritually make sure I am drinking consistently so that I don't need an overdoing of drink at the end. Because I need replenishing because I'm completely on the floor. So it takes discipline. Um, I don't know about you, but I find myself doing this. I'll do loads of stuff for everybody else. But I don't do anything for me. And I'll spiritualize that because I'm thinking, that's what God wants me to do, love my neighbor. Yeah, we know it as yourself. But we don't like the as self in there because we don't want to stop for a minute because we've got to address some issues inside us which are keeping us busy and they're noisy. So we don't want to stop and pause. We don't want a Sabbath. I don't want to rest because I can't rest because I've got to keep going because everybody will know what I'm really struggling with. And there's this thing going on and I don't want to rest. You know, when I was talking to somebody, when I was going through some counseling, he said to me, I, I mapped out my week dealing with what I was overwhelmed with. Put it all out on a map. I was like, oh yeah, get it all out. Know what I'm doing, plan, all organized now, super duper, whoa, dumb. And she said this to me. What, 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 what are you doing? What do you like to do? Oh, I, I can't think about that. I've got enough to do for everybody else. 
No, what do you like to do? I was like, I don't know. Have you ever thought about it? What do you love doing? Just for the sake of love doing. And, and I don't mean things that are not good for you, right? I mean good things. What do you love doing? What's the thing that you love to do? You know, one of the things I like to do, I like to sketch. I love sketching. It re-energizes me. It's what you call recreation. It recreates in you a passion for things. What do you like doing? You know, God, I felt God show me this. And uh, when I was young, I used to go up to a, a farm in uh, Cumbria. My uh, uncle and auntie had a, a big farm up there. We used to go up every year. I used to go up there. I was really enthusiastic. First morning, are you milking the cows? Yeah, I'll milk the cows. You're up at four o'clock. Yeah, yeah, I'm up at four o'clock. I lasted one day. Teenager, right? One day I did. I'm like, I'm not doing that again. I'm lying in the next day. But there was this little thing that God showed me and he reminded me of that I used to do. And I used to go to, it was a little workshop. It was an old, like, workshop that had been there, I don't know, hundreds of years. And in there, there's, like, all old machinery, you know, like a plow. And it was all rusted, and there's, there's stuff in there that was on the floor, and it was a mess. I mean, what, what, sorry, farmers. You mean, you, you get, you, like, you have everything sorted, then they have these other rooms, it just, just gets left. And I know you haven't got the time to sort them out, but I actually like them. So anyway, I go in this room, and there's all things on the floor, and there's, Horseshoes, and in this room, there's, a, there's a, a grinder. You know, a grinder spins around, a double grinder. And this double grinder, it spins. And as a kid, what I used to do is, I used to go and I used to pick the horseshoes up, these rusty things. And you used to put the grinder on, you used to go, I used to shine them up. It's, that's a good sound, isn't it? And you'd look at the horseshoe, and it'd be bright silver. I'd be like, wow, look at that. Looks brand new. Got no horse, but looks brand new. And God reminded me, he says, Paul, why did you do that? It's like, nobody else knows that. You asked me the question, Paul, why do you do it? And I went, I love doing it. I love doing it. I love the satisfaction of shining that thing up and looking at it and going, oh, look what I achieved. But it wasn't work. It wasn't another job. It wasn't another task. It was actually something I just enjoyed doing. And God says, Paul, that's what will replenish you. It's recreation. It will recreate something in you that you're passionate about and what you love doing. So find out what you love doing and do it. It will replenish you. What do you love doing? Maybe it's running. Maybe it's walking. Maybe it's looking at the birds. Kay Warren said one of the best thing she did to help replenish her soul was to look for the beauty in creation. It replenished her. From a woman who'd lost her son, it regenerated her. She saw the goodness in creation, the beauty in creation, and she was reminded of the beauty and the goodness of God. It's a woman who's lost her son, but she's able to get replenished because she looked for something that was beautiful. What are you looking for that's beautiful in this world? Because God wants to replenish you. And I struggle with this because I don't like to look at me. But I realized I need to do these things and so do you. And sometimes that means you need to have a Sabbath, you need to have a rest. A rest from work and doing something that you enjoy doing. Is that okay? So watch out that you don't get replenished because it, you'll find that you're running on the dregs and you're running on empty. You're doing everything for everybody else, but you don't do anything for yourself.
Make sure you do something for you this week. Choose what is it. And if you don't put it in your diary, you won't do it. What is it I'm going to do this week? And put it in your diary. I'm going to do that. Not that it's a task, another job, but it's something that you want to do and choose to do. I like to sketch. Is this okay? And the last one, this is probably the big one, but I've run out of time, is unmet expectations. I have expectations that I feel should happen and they don't happen, and then I feel discouraged. Expectations. I remember when I got married, I put so many expectations on Sarah. So much pressure on it. And I regret much of that because it damaged our relationship. I wanted her to live up to my standards rather than me just loving her and accepting it. You know, I recently went on holiday. We went down to Cornwall. Anyone done that journey? Down to Cornwall. You put it in the sat-nav. It's like five. It's about four hours something, 288 miles. You know, it's beautiful down there. It's worth doing. You put it in the sat-nav. I find myself driving, right? And I'm driving and I'm finding myself, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it in less than, I'm going to do it in less than, does anybody do it? I'm going to beat that blinking sat-nav. Anybody do it? Do it. Expectations, you point them on yourself. You know what I did this time? I was with my father-in-law. I sound Irish this morning. <laughs> what that's about. Maybe it was the jig song at the beginning, I don't know. But here's the point. This is, this is what I found. I was with my father-in-law, right? My father-in-law's been down there 25 times. He knows the way. He's like, no, we'll just go down there, then fire them, we'll get on the A30, then the A39, and we'll be there. For, we'll just go around Paddington, we'll get that way. I'm like, he's Andy having the car. So I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not going to put the sat nav on. I'm going to be dangerous. I'm going to do something new. Wow. So I said, don't put the sat nav on. I don't know if it was worse or better, actually. But that's another thing. I'm growing in grace. But this is what I found for the first hour. I was like, well, there's no pressure. I'll get there when I get there. I'm actually enjoying the journey a bit more. I'm actually enjoying his company, although he's trying to tell me every toilet on the way where it's going to be because he obviously has a toilet problem. But I'm not at that point yet. I'm on the sleep thing, but I'm not on the toilet thing yet. I'll get there. Looking forward to it. It's another, another, another part of the journey. What's up with you? It's part of the journey. If you don't enjoy it, you're going to enjoy it. So enjoy it. Anyway, but the point is this. There was expectations. I realized that sat nav put on me. But I got my father-in-law in the car. It was so much better. I thought, how many expectations am I putting on myself that don't need to be on me? I was going to preach from Joshua, kind of, but I haven't, so I apologize. You know, Joshua has expectations. They come, they take on Jericho. It's a huge, huge city. They get a great victory. You know, they're rejoicing. They find time to get replenished. You know what they do? They sit down, they have camp. You think, oh, I've got to get on to the next victory. No, we'll camp and we'll have a celebration. It was the Passover. And they replenished themselves before the next victory. But then they send the guys and they look at the city of Ai, Ai, and they look at it and they say, do you know what? It's much easier than Jericho. We expected an easy victory. So they said, just send a few thousand, three thousand men. That'll do it. Now the problem was, 
in their other victory, God had said, don't take any of the devoted things. And a guy called Akan, he decides, he sees the devoted things, he desires the devoted things, and he takes the devoted things. And God had said, don't take these. Now Joshua didn't know, so they were expecting, we're going to get a great victory. We're believing, you know, God is with us because God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, Joshua. Wherever you put your foot, you can have it. So you're going to get this victory. You'll get I, no problem. But he didn't know what was going on underneath the surface. And what was happening is I kind of had taken this and he'd sinned against God. In essence, what he'd done is said this, I reject you, God. We don't need you. I'm not going to trust God anymore. I'm going to trust in what I'm going to take And he takes silver, he takes gold, and he takes a robe, a Babylonian robe, or a a beautiful robe, whatever you want to call it, however you want to translate it. It's a robe that God said, don't take. And in essence, what that had done is this. It had then become a covering for Akan. It was Akan's covering. It was Akan's identity, Right? Robes were a representation of society. You had a good robe, people thought you were important. It was about expectations. It was about status. It was about value. If I have this robe, I'm going to be important in society. He was putting his expectations on himself by having a robe. So he became his own covering. He became his own protection. God says, I can't do it anymore. I can't protect you. I can't fight for you because you've chose something else. You know, what I find interesting about this, I'll read it in verse, Joshua 7, verse 11. It says, it says, they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against your enemies. They turn their backs and run. Sounds a little bit like me. Can't do this, can't do this exam, can't do this test. What I'm going to do? I'm going to run. Because they have made, been made liable to destruction. Why do I tell you this? Because it's really important that we don't put expectations on ourselves that God doesn't put on us. We don't put expectations on ourselves what we want people to expect of us. Because we end up... We end up fearing what people think about us. We end up worrying about what other people think about us. God says, don't create those devoted things. What you need is me. The question is, is God enough for us? Or are we going to be devoted to other things? What people think of us, our status, our money, our gold gives us status. Our appearance gives us status. All of these things, they're not wrong as long as they don't possess us. Are you hearing? And as soon as they possess us, as soon as we love them above God, they become destructive in our lives and we get discouraged because they don't give us what we wanted. They don't give me the value I was looking for. They don't give me the worth I was looking for. They didn't give me. I got the status. I got the, look, everybody can see how important I am. But it's not doing it. Because we reject God. And God says, be devoted to me. Because if you'll be devoted to me, guess what you'll get? I'll tell you how valuable you are. I'll tell you what I think of you. I'll tell you how much worth is in you. 
You're my daughter. You're my child. I love you more than anything. But as soon as we devote ourselves to the other things, and as soon as they start to crumble, we start to worry. I mean, is anybody worried at the moment with the gas stuff? Is anybody worried about, we're worried in COVID? What were most of us worried about? Probably we're going to get ill. What was the other thing? I'm not going to have all my stuff. Was anybody else like that? Oh, look at all my stuff. It's it's been reduced. My money's been reduced. I've got less money. How am I going to cope? How am I going to survive? And God's saying, what are you devoted to? Are you hearing it? Because you'll tell what you're devoted to because you'll start to worry and get anxious and think, oh, it's all being destroyed. Let it be destroyed. Let the fire of God destroy it and discover him and him alone. Who do you want? Who do you want? That's the question. Achan didn't want God. Achan wanted riches. He wanted a Babylonian cloak. He wanted a worldly thing. He saw it. He was tempted. And then he took it. And it was that that gave him value and worth. You think, it doesn't sound like much. It's the equivalent of doing this. It's the equivalent of me saying to you, right church, we're going to have an offering this morning. And then we take the offering, and I gather the offering, right? And I take it upstairs on my own. And I say, all right, what am I going to do with this offering today? Ah, let's have a look. Get on the internet. AirPods, I'll have a pair of them. I'll have a new computer. They won't know. I'll cover it up in the system somehow so it looks like it's not been spent. It's deception. I'm valuing riches and worth rather than understanding my relationship with God. Understanding the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, and the truth of God. And when we trade anything for that, then it leads to destruction. And God knows that and he says, come to me, devote yourself to me, and everything else, I'll give it to you anyway. Does not Jesus say that? Seek first the kingdom of, and what, and everything will be. We do it the opposite way around. Let's get all the stuff and then we'll add God on a Sunday and put him on the side of it. No, 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 no. You'll find out because you'll start worrying about when your stuff starts going. Because it'll go anyway by the end of your life. So choose what you're going to devote to. And it says of Achan this, that God says you need to deal with him. So they take him out, they put him out and they stone him and his family. And they burn them. Does that sound a bit harsh? Let's get Matt over here, right? Matt's had a bad week. He's sinned. Sorry, Matt, you're big. You, you can cope with that. You know, Matt's been unkind to someone over here and he's rejected God and we bring him in. Let's stone him, everybody. Let's get him on the car park. I'm sure that'll be on social media. It sounds really harsh, doesn't it? You know, when we read the Bible, we need to read it from their point of view. When we read the Bible, we read it from an individualistic point of view. I'm reading the Bible. What is God saying to me? What does the God give me? It's very individualistic, Western society. When they read the Bible, they didn't read it like that. They read it like this. What did God give us? What does God give us? He says to Achan, he doesn't say to Achan, he says, Israel has sinned. What? It was Achan. It was Matt. Sorry, Matt. No, no, no. If Matt sins... We sin. If you sin, we sin. 
If you hurt, we hurt. If you hurt someone, they get hurt, we all get hurt. Are you hearing it? Jesus didn't say this. Pray like this. Give me, Father, what I need. Our Father who is in heaven. So when we pray, we're praying together. Our Father in heaven. Now to understand that, you look at Akan, it says of Akan, he says this. When they, catch, when they find him out and bring all the stuff out, he says this, I have sinned. Sounds pretty good, he's been honest. I have sinned. I took the things. And you think, oh, that's pretty honest. God forgive him. But he doesn't say this, we have sinned. He doesn't say, we have taken the things. Because he's very self-centered. He only thinks of himself. He doesn't think of the rest that it could affect. You know, God, when we come to God, this is what happens. We start to grow and we start to think others, not just ourselves. And I'm sorry if that challenges you too much, but it's, it's going against the Babylonian robe that's an individualistic society. God says, I don't want you to have a Babylonian robe. I want you to have my robe of righteousness. But my robe of righteousness will consider others like you consider yourself. So replenish yourself, absolutely. But your lack of replenishment will affect everybody else. So we're a team. You're not individualistic. Oh, that's different. Yes, it is. That's how God addresses it. Why? Because when he looks at humanity, he doesn't see us individualistic. He sees us as one. It's a good job he does. When Adam sinned, who sinned? All of us. Because where were you when Adam sinned? You were in Adam. And you're born of Adam, so you're part of Adam. So Adam's sin affects me and you. Sorry if you don't agree with that, but that's the way it is. So when God came, God was born of Adam. Born of God, but born of Adam. He became a part of us when he was a man. So his sins, hallelujah, now cover all of us. Would you agree? His one sacrifice this morning covers your sins. So that you don't have to be like Achan and be destroyed. He was destroyed on that cross so that you didn't have to be destroyed. That's the good news, is it not? I want to ask you this morning, what robe do you want? And we're going to finish. I'm going to ask the band to come up. What robe do you want? Do you want a Babylonian robe? Or do you want his robe of righteousness? Because I'll tell you this, if you settle for a Babylonian robe, you'll be disappointed, you'll get discouraged. But if you settle for the righteousness of God that's available in Christ Jesus, this is what will happen. The peace of God will be available to you every day. His presence won't leave you. You can have an everlasting joy, not a temporary fix, but an everlasting joy deep down that is available through faith in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want an everlasting joy, not a temporary Babylonian robe. Riches are fine as long as we don't worship them and they don't possess all of our hearts. You know, Paul gives an answer to this, how to deal with discouragement. And I want to give you this weapon. Do you want a weapon this week? Do you want a tool to fight off discouragement so that you can get strong this week? Can I give it you? It's thankfulness. It's thankfulness. Because what thankful does, thankfulness does is this. It gets rid of ingratitude within our hearts. It gets rid of disappointment and dissatisfaction. It fills our hearts with a presence 
that were truly thankful for what God did on that cross. And thankfulness will disperse your discouragement. It will say, get out of my heart. Get out of my life. I am truly thankful for what Jesus did on the cross. What Akan did is this. I'm not thankful for what God did back in there when he took us out. I'm not God and I'm not satisfied, so I'll take my own. God's saying, no. Am I enough for you? Am I enough this morning? And you might be broken, you might be bruised, you might feel like running away, but I want to tell you there's a place with God this morning where you can be. And you'll disperse discouragement with thankfulness. Because once your heart is thankful, you don't need anything else. Once the heart is satisfied, it's strong enough to carry on again. Watch out for unmet expectations. They can disappoint you, they can hurt Watch out that you don't get overwhelmed. Talk to someone and make sure you replenish yourself. That's your responsibility. No one can do that. But just remember this. You're not on your own. We're in this together. This is the body of Christ. And we can journey and we can get there together. Come on, let's stand. I'll tell you what a robe... I'll tell you what thankfulness will lead to if you truly grasp this in your week. It'll lead to another robe. Anybody want another robe? Not just a robe of righteousness, which is your relationship with God. There's another robe available. Does anybody want it? See, thankfulness, once that begins to fill your heart, you'll begin to praise God and you'll realize you have a garment of praise that disperses greater things than discouragement. It can win battles. Because you know who God is. That you're not alone. That you have everything you need. And I'm truly thankful that God is in my heart. So let's begin to thank Him right now. I, I just want you to close your eyes and focus on Him. He's a great weapon that sometimes we put down. You know, and sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we have things in our hearts that we possess that are not healthy for us. And we need to do this. God, I'm sorry for when I've taken the riches of this world to be more important than you. God, I ask that you forgive me. God, I'm sorry when I've not replenished myself. God, I want to come to you. Teach me. And I want you to do this. We go to Jesus right now. He's the, he's the one who's not dead, but he's risen. And he's the Passover. When the Israelites stopped, they celebrated the Passover. It re-energized them today. Then it'll re-energize you today. So come on, we've got a greater one than the Passover. We've got the Lamb of God who's forgiven all of our sins so that we can be right with God this morning. And I want to encourage you to check out your heart and begin to thank Him. And let's believe that God will give you courage like never before. Courage to take promises that are available to you and the Father this morning. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's thank Him.